Hi, everybody. This is Bob Rowe. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. This time around, we're doing the Old Time Radio Grab Bag, and that's where I play some uh, somewhat obscure shows or shows that aren't uh, commonly heard and don't fit into our neat little categories that we do here on the broadcast of uh, a comedy on Monday, a drama on Tuesday, a mystery on Wednesday, and a Western on Thursday. These shows this week I got from Jerry Hindigas, who is uh, one of the fathers of the modern uh, hobby of old-time radio. And Jerry has uh, perhaps one of the best collections and is one of the uh, best-known experts on the field of old-time radio. And he has uh, many sources that feed him in shows that are on original transcription discs. And Jerry transcribes them onto um, uh, other media. And uh, from time to time, he makes some available. And these were four that he made available to uh, members of an old-time radio group. So these, for the most part, have not been in circulation since they were originally broadcast. There's four good ones, and I think that uh, you're going to be entertained for the next couple of hours. So to get things started, we are going to listen to the CBS Radio Workshop. This was originally broadcast on February 10th, 1957, and it's entitled Words. From Hollywood, the CBS Radio Workshop. They say one picture is worth 10,000 words. I wonder, is it? CBS Radio presents the CBS Radio Workshop, dedicated to man's imagination, the theater of the mind. The theater of the mind, where words create pictures. Here, then, are 1,489 words, the voice of William Conrad and the music of Jerry Goldsmith. Mr. Conrad. Thank you. Uh, With no prejudice against pictures that are worth 10,000 words, we will bring you in the next half hour 1,489 words, which uh, are worth innumerable pictures. Exactly how many only you can tell, for, well, it's the magic of your imagination that will paint them. We begin with 956 words arranged by the English poet Alfred Noyes into a pattern he called the highwayman. Uh, Mr. Goldsmith, if you please, overture for the highwayman.
wind was a torrent of darkness among the gusty trees. The moon was a ghostly galleon tossed upon cloudy seas. The road was a ribbon of moonlight over the purple moor. And the highwayman came riding, riding, riding. The highwayman came riding up to the old inn door. He'd a French cock hat on his forehead, a bunch of lace at his chin, a coat of the claret velvet, and his breeches of brown nose skin. They fitted with never a wrinkle, his boots were up to the thigh, and he rode with a jeweled twinkle, his pistol butts a twinkle, his rapier held a twinkle under the jeweled sky. Over the cobbles he clattered and clashed in the dark inn yard, and he tapped with his whip on the shutters, but all was locked and barred. He whistled a tune to the window, and who should be waiting there but the landlord's black-eyed daughter, Bess, the landlord's daughter, plaiting a dark red love knot into her long black hair. Dark in the dark old inn yard, a staple wicket creaked where Tim the ostler listened. His face was white and peaked, his eyes were hollows of madness, his hair like moldy hay. But he loved the landlord's daughter, the landlord's red-lipped daughter. Dumb as a dog, he listened, and he heard the robbers say, One kiss, my bonny sweetheart, I'm after a prize tonight, but I shall be back with a yellow gold before the morning light. Yet if they press me sharply and harry me through the day, then look for me by moonlight. Watch for me by moonlight. I'll come to thee by moonlight, though hell should bar the way. He rose upright in his stirrups. He scarce could reach her hand, but she loosened her hair in the casement. His face burned like a brand as the black cascade of perfume came tumbling o'er his breast. And he kissed its waves in the moonlight. Oh, sweet black waves in the moonlight. Then he tugged at his rein in the moonlight and galloped away to the west. in the dawning. He did not come at noon. And out of the tawny sunset before the rise of the moon when the road was a gypsy's ribbon looping the purple moor, a red coat troop came marching, marching, marching. King George's men came marching up to the old end door. They said no word to the landlord. They drank his ale instead. But they gagged his daughter and bound her to the foot of her narrow bed. Two of them knelt at a casement with muskets at their side. There was death at every window, and hell at one dark window. For Bess could see through her casement the road that he would ride. They had tied her up to attention with many a sniggering jest. They had bound a musket beside her with a barrel beneath her breast. Now keep good watch. And they kissed her. 
she heard the dead man say, Look for me by moonlight, watch for me by moonlight, I'll come to thee by moonlight, though hell should bar the way. She twisted her hands behind her, but all the knots held good. She writhed her hands till her fingers were wet with sweat or blood. They stretched and strained in the darkness, and the hours crawled by like years. Till now, on the stroke of midnight, cold on the stroke of midnight, the tip of one finger touched it. The trigger at least was hers. The tip of one finger touched it. She strove no more for the rest. Up she stood to attention with a barrel beneath her breast. She would not risk her hearing. She would not strive again. For the road lay bare in the moonlight, blank and bare in the moonlight. And the blood of her veins in the moonlight throbbed to her love's refrain. Hadley heard it, the horse hoofs ringing clear. Clot, 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 clot in the distance. Were they deaf that they did not hear? Down the ribbon of moonlight over the brow of the hill, the highwayman came riding, riding, riding. The redcoats looked to their priming. She stood up straight and still. Clot, clot in the frosty silence. Clot, clot in the echoing night. Nearer he came and nearer. Her face was like a light. Her eyes grew wide for a moment. She drew one last deep breath. Then her finger moved in the moonlight. Her musket shattered the moonlight, shattered her breast in the moonlight, and warned him with her death. He turned, he spurred to the west. He did not know who stood bowed with her head or the musket drenched with her own red blood. Not till dawn he heard it. His face grew greater here. How Bess, the landlord's daughter, the landlord's black-eyed daughter, had watched for her love in the moonlight and died in the darkness there. Back he spurred like a madman, shrieking a curse to the sky with a white road smoking behind him and his rapier brandished high. Blood red were his spurs in the golden noon. Wine red was his velvet coat when they shot him down on the highway. Down like a dog on the highway. And he lay in his blood on the highway with a bunch of lace at his throat. Still, of a winter's night, they say, when the wind is in the trees, 
When the moon is a ghostly galleon tossed upon cloudy seas. When the road is a ribbon of moonlight over the purple moor. A highwayman comes riding, riding, riding. A highwayman comes riding up to the old inn door. Over the cobbles he clatters and clangs in the dark inn yard. And he taps with his whip on the shutters. But all is locked and barred. He whistles a tune to the window. And who should be waiting there? But the landlord's black-eyed daughter, Bess, the landlord's daughter, plaiting a dark red love knot into a long black hair. Now, love has always been the special province of poets, and who of us, having fallen in love or thought we had, has not tried to express this overwhelming passion in a poem? Well, more than a hundred years ago, there was in London a young woman who managed this rather more successfully than most of us. Her name was Elizabeth Barrett. Her lover was Robert Browning, who tenderly called her his little Portuguese because of her dark complexion. As their romance progressed, she wrote him a series of sonnets inscribed from the Portuguese. Here is the immemorial sonnet 43, 128 words of love. Let me count the ways. I love thee to the depth and breadth and height my soul can reach when feeling out of sight for the ends of being and ideal grace. I love thee to the level of Every day's most quiet need by sun and candlelight. I love thee freely as men strive for rights. I love thee purely as they turn from praise. I love thee with the passion put to use in my old griefs and with my childhood's faith. I love thee with a love I seem to lose with my lost saints. I love thee with the breath, smiles, tears of all my life. 
and if God choose, I shall but love thee better after death. They say one picture is worth 10,000 words. Do you still believe it? Well, listen then to 398 words from the pen of the late, great Thomas Wolfe from his book of Time in the River, a passage known as The Thunder of Imperial Names. Places and great rivers, the mighty names of the states. The name of the wilderness and the names of Antietam, Chancellorsville, Shiloh, Bull Run, Fredericksburg, Cold Harbor, the wheat fields, Ball's Bluff, and the Devil's Den. The names of Cowpens, Brandywine, and Saratoga, of Death Valley, the Chickamauga, and the Cumberland Gap. The names of the Nantahalas, the Badlands, the Painted Desert, the Yosemite, and the Little Bighorn. The names of Yancey and Cabarrus counties, and the terrible name of Hatteras. the continental thunder of the states, the names of Montana, Texas, Arizona, Colorado, Michigan, Maryland, Virginia, and the two Dakotas, the names of Oregon and Indiana, 
of Kansas and the rich Ohio, the powerful name of Pennsylvania, and the name of old Kentucky, the undulance of Alabama, the names of Florida and North Carolina. at the break of day, long hunters lay for bear. The rattle of arrows and laurel leaves, the war cries round the painted buttes, and the majestical names of the Indian nations, the Pawnees, the Algonquins, the Iroquois, the Comanches, the Blackfeet, the Seminoles, the Cherokees, the Sioux, the Hurons, the Mohawks, the Navajos, the Utes, the Omahas, the Onondagas, the Chippewas, the Crees, the Chickasaws, the Arapahos, the Catabas, the Dakotas, the Apaches, the Croatans and the Tuscaroras, the names of Powhatan and Sitting Bull, and the name of the great chief, Rain in the face. seen starlight on the rails? Have you heard the thunder of the fast express? The names of the mighty rails that bind the nation. The wheeled thunder of the names that net the continent. The Pennsylvania, the Union Pacific, the Santa Fe, the Baltimore and Ohio, the Chicago and Northwestern, the Southern, the Louisiana and Northern, the Seaboard Airline, the Chicago, Milwaukee and St. Paul, the Lackawanna, the New York, New Haven and Hartford, the Florida East Coast, the Rock Island and the Denver and Rio Grande. of the great rivers that are flowing in the darkness. The names of the great mouths, the mighty moors, the vast, wet, coiling, never glutted and unending snakes that drink the continent. 
Where and in what other land will you find others like them? And where you can match the mighty music of their names? The Monongahela, the Colorado, the Rio Grande, the Columbia, the Tennessee, the Hudson, the Kennebec, the Rappahannock, the Delaware, the Penobscot, the Wabash, the Chesapeake, the Swannanoa, the Indian River, the Niagara, the St. Lawrence, the Susquehanna, the Tom Bigbee, the Nantahala, the French Broad, the Chattahoochee, and the Potomac. princely names. These are a few of their great, proud, glittering names fit for this immense and lonely land that they inhabit. Just a few more words and we're done. From the ancient Japanese, a tanka, a poem consisting of only seven words. A poem called Silence. Butterfly sleeps on the temple bell. The CBS Radio Workshop has presented 1,489 words, starring William Conrad, with music composed and conducted by Jerry Goldsmith. 1,489 words consisted of The Highwayman by Alfred Noyes, Sonnet 43 from the Portuguese by Elizabeth Barrett Browning, The Thunder of Imperial Names by Thomas Wolfe, and Silence by an unknown Japanese poet of antiquity. This experiment in words and the pictures words evoke was directed by Mr. Conrad and produced in Hollywood by William N. Robeson. Next week, from New York... The workshop will present Space Merchants, directed by Paul Roberts.
that was the CBS Radio Workshop. The name of that episode was Words, as first broadcast February 10th, 1957. Now we're going to listen to an episode of 20 Questions. This was originally broadcast on November 23rd, 1946, and the guest is Emily Post. Come on, gang, let's play 20 Questions. Is it animal or mineral? Is it a living American man? Would I wear it at the beach? Can Mr. Palacey spell it? <laughs> Does it stand on its hands? Yes, everyone is playing 20 questions. And now, here's the man who knows the answers, Bill Slater. Thank you, thank you, and hello, everyone. Welcome to 20 Questions, the absolutely unrehearsed program where you listeners send in subjects for our questioners to identify in 20 questions or fewer. I'm the mystery voice off stage in a soundproof booth. I'll tell you what the subject is, and a poster will inform our studio audience. But we won't tell our questioners. Who are Fred Van Deventer, famous newscaster, Florence Renard, musician and teacher, Bobby McGuire, amazing 15-year-old schoolboy, Herb Palazzi, radio and motion picture producer, and our special guest tonight is that grand American personality, a writer and authority par excellence, Mrs. Emily Post. Mrs. Post, we're particularly happy to have you here tonight, and I think I can ask you to do some things for Mr. Palazzi later on in the evening. He needs you. I'm very glad to. I Thanks, understand Emily. you have a new book, book coming out, Mrs. Post. Well, no, not, not a new book, but an old book entirely rewritten with a new edition for younger people. That is, it's my personality of a house, which was about big houses, and now it's going to have a great deal about little houses, new houses. I hope we have those new houses and little houses or big houses, That's Mrs. Post. That's just what I hope, too. <laughs> and I'm sure your book will be very useful in connection with them. We're glad you're here to play 20 questions with us. Uh, our first subject, Mrs. Post and questioners, uh, was sent by Donald Ferguson of Grand Junction, Colorado. You used to have a schoolmate from there. The subject is animal. This is the mystery voice with the answer for the radio audience only. Bill is referring to Frankenstein's monster. People at home know what it is. Let the studio audience see this subject. Now, questioners, see if you can get this in 20 questions. Van? Is it a whole animal? Yes, a whole animal. Van again. Is it human? Is it human? Well, uh, yes. Yes, I have to say yes. You mean you have to think about it? Uh, oh, I We're have to in think... plenty of trouble if you don't know whether it's human or not. I have to think whether lots of things are human or not, Mr. Palazzi, said he looking right at you. <laughs> Van? Is it a man? Uh, yes. Miss Renard? Is this man living? No. Herb? Has he a name like John? Uh, no. No? Uh -huh. Just no. a... Doesn't have a name like John. Bobby? Is he fictional? Yeah, fictional. Herb again. Uh, was he a villain? Yes. Is he? Yeah. I want to take one. Is he the man without a country? No. No, that's eight. Florence? Was this in an American story? No. No. Van? English story? Yes. Bobby? Was it by a famous author? English uh, author? No, you wouldn't know this author uh, too well. Van? Was this uh, a man in comparatively contemporary fiction? Uh... No, a century ago. But still read about quite largely. Mrs. Post? Was he an evil person? He must have been. A very evil person. I asked. That's 13. 
Van? Did he, uh, did he have any particular exploits? Oh. <laughs> I should say so. That's 14 questions. Herb? Did he kill people? Yes. I don't know who he is. <laughs> I think Van knows. Did he ever change his personality? Uh, you're not, you're thinking of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. No. No. In the matter of personality, you have great big doubts here. And remember how hesitant I was when you asked that this subject was human. That's 16 questions and four to go. Van. Uh, was it Frankenstein? No. It was not Frankenstein. Well, was it the monster? It was Frankenstein's monster. That's it. (laughs) Well, you've got Frankenstein's monster in 18 questions, and aren't you glad you don't know him, Herb? Don't look at me. (laughs) No. I was looking right at you all through the subject, and it didn't help him a bit. (laughs) Subject number two, it's animal. The subject is one of America's best-loved composers, Irving Berlin. Now the mystery voice has told the people at home. Now let the studio audience see. Now, here we go. You have a question, Mrs. Post? Was it human? Human, yes. Van? Is it a man? Yeah. Van? Is he living? Yes. Hmm. Too bad, isn't it? (laughs) The triple question you didn't throw just at the right time. Florence? Is he in the government? No. Van? Is he in the entertainment world? Yes. Bobby? Is he in the sports world? No. No. That's six questions, Florence. Is he in movies? In movies? Yes. Not, uh, not extensively. Van? Is he, uh, does he appear on a stage? Uh, not extensively. Has. Florence? Is he in radio? Uh, not extensively. <laughs> you're sure he, you're sure he's in the entertainment world? Oh, I'm pretty sure of that. That's nine <laughs> questions. <laughs> Herb? They don't give this fellow away with a box top, do they? <laughs> no, Herb. Don't charge him for that question. He knew that. Florence? Is he in a circus? No. That, That's that... all there is. Uh, no, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> Van. Is he an offstage personality? Uh, most of the time. Yes. That's 11 questions. Bobby? Is he a movie producer, a director, or something like that? No. Is this person in radio? Well, that question was asked before. This person has been in radio, but he doesn't make his living primarily in radio. I said not extensively in radio. Bobby? Does he entertain us by we actually seeing or hearing him, or does he produce something which entertains us? He produces something which entertains you primarily. Herb? Is he a well-known writer? Well-known writer? Yes. Yes, in a sense. Bob? Is he a composer? Yes. A popular composer? A popular composer. Herb? Irving Berlin. Irving Berlin, got it. Very good. Irving Berlin in 19 questions. Very, very smartly you're going along. This is mineral. The panel will now attempt to locate Sherlock Holmes' magnifying glass. That ought to be elementary. People at home know from the mystery voice, let the studio audience see. Van. Is it metallic? It's uh, partly metallic, usually. Florence? Does it exist? Uh, no. Mrs. Post? Is the house? No. Florence? Did it ever exist? Uh, no. No, that's four. Bob? Was it in American fiction? No. Van? Was it in ancient fiction? No. Bob? Was it in English fiction? Yes. Bob again. Was this fiction by a well-known author? Yes. Yes. That's eight questions. Is it prose fiction? 
Yes. Yes. Van? Dickens? No. Florence? Stevenson? No. Bob? Shakespeare? No. That's 12. Van? Uh... Did I ask if it was in ancient fiction? I think that was asked, and I said no. Florence? Was it by Lewis Carroll? No. <laughs> Such a <laughs> nice, sweet look you had then, too, Florence. Her? Yeah, I don't feel sweet. Did, uh, <laughs> did this prop belong to a detective? Yes. Sherlock Holmes? It belonged to him. What was it, Van? Well, it was either his uh, magnifying glass... That's or... what it was! Don't go any further... Sherlock Holmes magnifying glass and 16 questions. You people are doing very, very well tonight. I'm going to shuff, shuffle up my cards. Well, okay, questioners. That wraps up four subjects. Let's pause and give Bill Slater and his masterminds a bit of a rest while we listen to the Bill Bryan Trio and the voice of Joan Barton. To 20 questions and Bill Slater. All right, I have shuffled my cards up. I have a few that are a little bit harder. <laughs> now, Mr. Locke's subject is animal. 
And that's my cue to come in here with a tip-off to the radio audience only. It's a bundle from heaven. Let the studio audience see what this subject is. Now, if you got this in 20 questions, here we go. Van? Can you eat it? <laughs> Heaven's sake, no. Her? Can you ride it? Can you ride it? Yeah. No. Florence? Is it human? You, well, yes, yes, yes. Sometimes may not look so, but is. <laughs> Mrs. Post? The woman? A woman? Well, some of them are and some of them aren't. Van? Is this both men and women? Well, it's not both men and women. Man and woman? It's both male and female. <laughs> not necessarily all at the same time, Van. That would be a little difficult. That's five questions. You have a question, Mrs. Post? It's a centaur, is it? Not a centaur, no. Are these male and female very, very young? Yes. Van? Uh, are, are these class questions or are... No, there have been quite a few of these. <laughs> Thank goodness. Florence? Are they babies? Yes. Yes. Uh, Mrs. Post? Twins? No. Well, some of them are and some of them aren't, Mrs. Post. Uh, you're pretty close, Florence. I just want well, a little change. Is it change. just a new baby? Uh, yes, but give me a moment. You mean more romantic than a new baby? Uh, yes. Van? Would it be a bundle from heaven? A bundle from heaven, yes, sir. Well, Mrs. Post, we were all very happy when we knew Emily Post was going to be our guest this evening. How are you enjoying 20 Questions? I'm enjoying it immensely, and I'm very pleased with my present. I had no idea it was going to be so lovely. <laughs> you listen to, to our program? The description doesn't do it justice. No, I'll work harder on that. Do you enjoy our program when you're home, Mrs. Post? I always listen to it. I've listened to it for, oh, since last spring. Even with some of the things that Mr. Palazzi says? <laughs> Even with some of the things Mrs. Palazzi says. <laughs> right, Bill, Bill, do you think Mrs. Post would approve of all the things that Herb has said about his mother-in-law? I doubt it very much. I doubt it a lot. Well, now, we'll have, we'll have to I'm sure she's pleased with him. You know oh, what? of course she is. Bill, I must tell you what happened to her. She went to see The Iceman Cometh, and she hasn't thought out yet. <laughs> well, of course not. She's a nice woman. Uh, let's move to subject number six. And here's where we're going to let you people at home play it right along with us. We're not going to tell you, and you see how well you do against how well our questioners do. But let the studio audience see what it is. This subject is vegetable. <laughs> see if you can get this in 20 questions. Van? Can you eat it? <laughs> no, and I hope there's never been a time when you felt like eating it either. No, you can't eat it. It's not edible, Mrs. Post. Is it wood? No, it's not wood, Mrs. Post. <laughs> Uh, you should know it's not, Bobby. Is it paper? Yes, it's paper. Van? Is there writing on this paper? Oh, sure. Miss Renard? Is it a book? It's a book. Is it Miss Post's book of etiquette? Florence! <laughs> Mrs. Post's book of etiquette you got in six questions. Your fame is very broad, Mrs. Post. <laughs> I think I'm here, that's why. <laughs> All right, I wonder if you people at home got Mrs. Post's book of etiquette in uh, six questions. Uh, maybe after you have talked to her a little bit more, Mr. Palazzi, Mrs. Post. I got uh, the book in one question. 
Oh, did you? I went in the store and asked for it. Yeah. <laughs> I thought maybe your mother-in-law threw it at you. Uh, True. Could be. Right. Let's move to subject number seven. I'm, I'm just a little bit down here, and I've got a fairly tough one for you. The subject is mineral. This is your pal, the mystery voice, once more. Bill's subject is from a famous play. It's the Witch's Cauldron in Shakespeare's Macbeth. Now the mystery voice has told the people at home, let them see that, Miss Shepard. Now, you get this in 20 questions and I'll, I'll eat something. Florence? Is this a natural geographical feature? This is not a natural geographical feature, no. Bobby? Is it manufactured? Yes. Van? Is it metallic? Yes. Herb? Is it precious? No. That's four questions. Bob? Is it famous for the person who owned it? Uh, famous for the persons who owned it, yep. Van? Was that person a man? No. Van? Uh, was, is she living? No. Herb? Did uh, the people that own it come from the North Country, north of, uh, from Canada? No. Van? Was she an American? No. Florence? Uh, is this fictional? Yes. That's ten questions. Van? Is it an American fiction? No. Bob? Is it an English fiction? Yes. That's eleven. Dickens? Suppose? Not Dickens. No. That's 13. Bob. Shakespeare? Yes. 14. Six to go. Herb. Is it a sword? No. 15. Five to go. Bob. Is it in the Merchant of Venice? No. 16. Four to go. Florence. Is it in Hamlet? No. That's 17. Three to go. Herb. Is it in Romeo and Juliet? No. Nice and romantic of you. Two questions to go. Bob. Is it in Caesar and Cleopatra? No. One question to go, and you not only have to know now what it's in and what it is. One to go. Mr. Walls out there in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, get ready, sir. <laughs> Van? You say it's, uh, it's partly metallic? No, I said it was all metallic. All right. Who's going to try question number 20? Let's face it. Florence? Was it a casket of jewel? No, just a casket that... Somebody in no. some play. I forget what it was. Yes, well, whatever play it was and what whoever it was, it wasn't those that person at all. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, you didn't get it in 20 questions. He stumped our questioners with the witch's cauldron in Macbeth. <laughs> Congratulations to you, Mr. Walls. <laughs> all right. Oh, here's a good one. It's usually vegetable and animal. Bill Slater is giving the panel 20 chances to discover the hairbrush that spanks naughty children. Now the mystery voices inform the people at home. Let the studio audience see what this is. <laughs> I'm sure they've all gotten this at one time or another, but let's see if they can get it now in 20 questions. Bobby? Is it cloth? No, it's not cloth. There have been times when I wished it were. Florence? Is it partly wood? Uh, usually. Or quite often. Mm -hmm. Van? Uh, is it famous because of the person with whom it's connected? <laughs> I feel so silly when people laugh when I ask them. <laughs> you don't feel any sillier than you look, Van. <laughs> the answer to your question is yes. It's famous for the persons to, with whom it is connected. <laughs> Mrs. Post. Is it something of yours? Is it something of mine? <laughs> no, not anymore, Mrs. Post. Not quite, no. Bob? Is this something used for punishment of any kind? Yes. Is it an electric chair? No. <laughs> oh, how sadistic of you. Van? Is this something wielded by somebody? Yes. 
Yes, Herm? Is it a cat of nine tails? No, that's eight questions, Florence. Is it a, a hang, a gallows? Oh, Florence, how sadistic of you. No, Bobby? Is it an axe? Oh, no, heavens no. That's ten questions, Van. Is it a paddle? No, no, that's 11 questions. Nine to go. Bob? Is it a whip? No, that's 12. I don't think you people have had the experiences in life that some of the rest of us have had. Mrs. Post, what do you think? Is it a gun? No, no, Mrs. Post. No, that's 13. Seven to go. Herb? Could my mother-in-law hit me over the head with it? Uh, Well, she wouldn't very likely. Your sense of location is wrong. uh, Well, I'll get up if you like that better. (laughs) That answers my next question. What is it, uh, Van? I say that answers my next question. (laughs) I'm glad you didn't ask it, And my last one. (laughs) All right, you've got 14 questions and you still don't have this object. Bobby? Is it used to... Uh, penalize somebody for some major uh, something that he, they had done, which they shouldn't. Well, have. that depends on the point of view. Well, I mean, such, of... such as a. No, it's not used for capital punishment yes, or I anything mean. like that. No, fifteen questions and five to go. Herb? Well, I'll ask: Is it used mainly for children? Yes, yes. Sixteen, four to go, Bob. Was it ever in a famous song? No, 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 not that I know of. Three to go, Mrs. Post. Isn't the birch that they use in public schools abroad, is it? Isn't the what? The birch with which the schoolmaster whips the little boys. No, it's not quite that, but you're awfully close, (laughs) Van. Is this the rod that we don't spare in order to not spoil the child? No, no, no. There's one question to go. And I imagine Bobby, who's only 15, is probably ought to know more about this than anybody else. Uh, I don't know what kind of instruments they used in you people's lives. Paddles. Uh... You want, who wants to try it? Herbert? Well, uh, I, I think it's a brush that you hit. That's right. It's the hairbrush that you get spanked with. <laughs> the hairbrush you get spanked with. Out where we come from, we really get punished. Not well, with anything like that. We hairbrush. do where I come from. My mother spanked me as far back as I can remember. <laughs> she used the brush. Most Plenty of the time. far back. <laughs> well, not with a hairbrush, did she? What'd you say, Mrs. Post? She didn't thank you with a hairbrush, did she? Oh, yes, she did. Yes, the hairbrush was used... I thought that was purely fiction. Oh, no, it really happened. Hairbrush was used on both ends of me, Mrs. Post. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Now let's switch around to our quickies. This is where I race you against time. When I say go, you start asking your questions as I point to you and see if you can get this in 60 seconds. And it's mineral. The subject is the Rose Bowl. Now, the people at home have been told. Let the studio audience see what this is. It's primarily mineral, and in a second, I'll say go and press my stopwatch. Go. Connected with a story lately? No. Is it famous for a person wounded? No. Is it metallic? Mm, partly. Does it exist? Yes. In the United States? Yes. East of Mississippi? No. Is it a Did class... you say east of the Mississippi? Yes. No. Is it a class question? No. Is it on the Pacific Coast? Yes. In Hollywood? Uh, close by. <laughs> is it in Los Angeles? No. The San Rose Francisco? Bowl. The Rose Bowl, Florence. You got it. got the Rose Bowl in 21 and three-fifths seconds, which is very good going for getting the Rose Bowl. Have we got time for another one, Bob? Let's try quickie number two. The subject is the student prince. Now the mystery voice has told the people, let the audience here see. I don't think you'll get this in one minute, and your minute is starting when I say go. Living? No. Man? Yep. American? No. Fictional? Yep. British fiction? What? American fiction? No. English fiction? No. European fiction? Yep. Bible, my chance. No. 
French fiction? Nope. Italian? Nope. Spanish? Nope. Is it an opera? Uh, has been. German? A part of one. German? Yep. Siegfried? Nope. Was it by Wagner? No. Wasn't an opera in the very strictest sense of the word. 35 seconds. Did an Does operetta? They have a name? An operetta, yes. By Victor Herbert? No. They have a name? By Gilbert yep. Sullivan? No. By Frimmel? No. By Romberg? Yeah. Student Prince? Right. That's it. The student Prince. 43, 43 and two-fifths seconds for getting the student Prince is very good going, and you've done very, very well tonight. I'm sorry it took you so long to get that hairbrush. Thank you, Bill Slater and your masterminds for a very interesting game of 20 Questions. Right now, though, it's time for music. So let's listen to 20 Questions Musical Board of Experts, the Bill Bryan Trio. would like to hear from you, gang. And if he uses one of your questions, he'll send you a grand surprise prize. Address your cards and letters to 20 Questions, care of the Armed Forces Radio Service, Los Angeles, USA. 
20 Questions was a presentation of the United States Armed Forces Radio Service, the voice of information and education. was 20 Questions, as originally broadcast on November 23, 1946. Coming up now, we have a show called Confession. This was first broadcast July 5, 1953, and the name of this episode is the Doris Kane case. The confession you're about to hear is an actual recording. Go ahead, please. I make this confession of my own free will because it is true. There has not been any force or violence used upon my person to induce me to make these statements. Without promise of immunity or reward or gratuity, I confess. You understand, of course, that your statement will be made public through the radio program Confession? I do. And that your name for the purpose of this broadcast will be Doris Kane? Yes. For what comfort you may find in so doing, you will now be allowed to tell your story. If there is comfort for your listeners, it must lie in the fact that you've been apprehended. Do you understand all this? Yes, sir, I understand. In the hope that someone somewhere may benefit from my mistakes, I confess. Listening to Confession. The case history of the woman referred to as Doris Kane is a matter of documented record. You will hear the story of her crime experience as told in her own words. Doris Kane, please state your age. I'm 15 years old. And you're pregnant? Yes, I expect my baby in three months. I'll go ahead with your story. <clears throat> well, I knew Jimmy was dead. Even before they told me, I knew he was dead. And I... I... Suppose you try to tell it from the beginning. You lived in Cleveland. I ran away. But your home was there. Yes, my mother still lives there. I lived with her. And your father? My father and her separated. What does your mother do for a living? She sews. She does sewing. Why did you leave home? I don't know. Maybe... I guess because she was always treating me like a kid. Doris? That you, Doris? Mm-hmm. You know what time it is. Yeah. 
12 o'clock. I know. Bumming around till midnight. Where were you? Out. Out. Where? With some friends. Friends like Jimmy, I suppose. Oh, you just don't like you him. You spend that money I gave you? I still got it. Who bought for you this evening? Nobody. Listen here, when I ask you a question, I want answers. Who bought for you? Nobody. I'm going to bed. You come back here. What do you want? You was out with Jimmy, wasn't you? Oh, right. I was out with Jimmy. Don't you give me them talking back answers. <gasps> Where did you go? We went bowling. Bowling? Jimmy bought you liquor, didn't he? I didn't have any liquor. Don't lie to me. I could smell it when you come in. He bought you liquor, a kid like you. I'm not a kid. Oh. I can't do anything with you. I give up. I've done all I can. You're just no good. <laughs> It was like she said I was no good. Jimmy was at the bowling alley. He wanted me to meet him there after they closed up at 2 o'clock. To say goodbye, he said, because he was going away and I might never see him again. Then I got a crazy idea. Maybe I could go with him. I put my clothes in a box and sneaked out the back way. Jimmy was glad to see me. That was one thing about Jimmy. Always glad to see me. Dory, I thought you weren't coming. I wasn't. Your mama. Huh? You know how she is. I'd have gone crazy if you hadn't come back to say goodbye. You never did tell me where you were going. Well, we don't really know ourselves, just west. I thought you were going along. Uh-uh, with Frankie. You know, my partner. What's in the box? Clothes. What for? I'm running away. From home? Gee, things must be rough. Yeah. Jimmy, take me along. Take you along with us? Please, Jimmy, I won't be any trouble. Honest, I won't. Gee, I don't know. Please, Jimmy. Please. But we might not come back. I don't care. Maybe we'll never come back. Please. Well, maybe. Okay, why not? Oh, thanks, Jimmy. Sure, come on. We went across town to the Congress Hotel, I think it was. Jimmy said he had to meet Frankie there. He waited out on the sidewalk, and then about a half an hour, a car pulled up in front of the hotel. Jimmy opened the door for me. All right, hop in, Dory. All right. I'll put your stuff in the back. Doris, this is Frank, my partner. Hello. You didn't say anything about bringing a girl along. We just arranged it. I said the two of us. If you don't like it, let us out at the next corner. Oh, take it easy. Don't get blisters. It's just that you didn't say anything. Forget it, will you? Sure. Sure, if you say she's okay, only she looks kind of young. How old are you? Fourteen. Your mother know what you're doing? No. What'll she do when she finds out? Nobody can make me go back if I don't want to. Well, let's not talk about it. We'll decide later. Come here, honey. Comfortable? Frank drove fast. Jimmy put his arm around me. I felt warm inside. After a while, I fell asleep. When I woke up, it was daylight. Jimmy was sleeping. We were somewhere out in the country. Frankie didn't seem sleepy at all. He just kept driving. When Jimmy woke up about an hour later, we stopped at a little gas station. It was just this gas station, no other buildings around. How's it look to you, Jimmy? Fine. It's pretty out of the way. There's no other customers. No waiting. That's just what I was thinking. Yeah, I'll be right back. Oh. 
It's sure dead out here. Yeah. Frank must be tired. Frank never gets tired, as long as he can get a fix. He's gone inside the station. Yeah. You know something. What? You're pretty. <laughs> what did you mean before about Frankie? Mm hmm? About not getting tired, as long as he can get a fix. H. You know, heroin. He's hooked on the stuff. Oh. No kidding, Dora. You're real pretty. Say. Yeah? Where's Frank? What's keeping Frank? I don't know. Oh, Dory. I love you, Dory. Jimmy. You love me? Yes. Yes, I do, Jimmy. Hey, I got a great idea. What? Why don't we get married? Married? Why not? Listen, honey. Frank's got something big lined up, real big. He's taking me in with him. We'll have plenty of money. We'll get an apartment in San Francisco, maybe. How does that sound, honey? Jimmy, it sounds wonderful. Oh, honey. Here comes Frank. Oh, yeah. All right, let's get rolling. You didn't get any gas. No. How was it, Frank? Not bad, not good. 50. That's all he had. 50? That's okay. Jimmy, what is it? Jimmy, what happened? Something happened. Take it easy, Dory. Everything's all right. You see anybody in the back? Just a second. Nope, all clear. Okay. Well, this ought to hold us for a while. Jimmy! Hey, Frank, guess what? Huh? Dory and me, we're going to get married. Married? You're both kind of young for that. We'll tell them we're older. We'll make ourselves look older. You can give the bride away. I'm kidding. Married, huh? Here comes a bride, big, fat, and wide. <laughs> da, 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 da. We got the license. Then we stopped at a country judge's place and got married. Frank was the witness. By that time, it was getting towards evening. Frank was going to try to connect for some H. He said he was running out of caps. He drove Jimmy and me to a motel. It wasn't much of a honeymoon, I guess, but I was Jimmy's wife, and I didn't care where we stayed as long as we were together. You know. Wonder where they're going. Out west, too, maybe. Happy, honey? Mm, Jimmy, it's wonderful. Old married people, huh? Yeah. Jimmy, what happened? What happened when? At the gas station. The money Frank gave us, he got at the gas station, didn't he? So what? But a hold-up. He did it. We didn't do it. He did it. I'm scared. Dory, you mad at me? No, I'm not mad. But Frank, he's a real dope addict, isn't he? Yeah, he's hooked bad. If he don't score, he goes crazy. Are you, Jimmy? What? Hooked. Me hooked? Of course not. Do you use it? Maybe a joy pop once in a while, just for kicks. But I haven't got a habit, if that's what you mean. Just now and then. Who's that? Frank, probably. I'll get it. No, you wait here. 
Yes? State police. You Mr. Kane? Yeah, that's me. My partner and I'd like to see you outside. What for? There's a gas station held up about 75 miles east of here. We're checking all late arrivals. Hold up? I didn't have anything to do with a hold up. Officer? Hmm? Officer, he didn't have anything to do with any hold up. Stay out of this, Doris. Well, we just got married, see? Here's our marriage license. He's in with me all day. Let me see that. Just got married today, huh? Wow, congratulations. Here you are. Thanks. Oh, say. Yeah? How old are you? Uh, 21. Yeah. Yeah, the man they described was much older. Well, good luck, kids. Thanks. part of it now I'd lied for him the next morning Frank picked us up his eyes looked funny like he was doped or something he said he'd found a mule you know someone who sells heroin we told him about the state police and he got mad we went about 50 miles and then Frank pulled up at another gas station I was scared Jimmy kept telling me to take it easy Frank got out of the car and left Jimmy and me sitting there we didn't say anything we just sat there we just sat there waiting Quiet. Frank? All clear? Uh, yeah, all clear. Frank? Yeah? Did you have to kill him? I don't like witnesses. But you didn't have to kill him, did you? I don't like cops on my neck. Why did you have to kill him? Because I had to, that's why. Now shut up. You are listening to Confession. Before continuing with the documented record of the woman referred to as Doris Kane, the National Broadcasting Company is honored to present Mr. Richard A. McGee, Director of Corrections, Department of Corrections, State of California. We in correctional work know the dangers that exist in exposing young people to evil influence. In tonight's case, three stages of crime are apparent. The narcotic addict, who is already a hardened criminal, the younger user, who is well on the road to becoming both addict and criminal, and the adolescent girl just exposed to evil influence. Without proper guidance and parental control, she too is destined for disaster. If you expect to help your own children keep out of trouble, know where they go and whom they are with. Most of all, let them know they are loved and respected by you. A child who feels rejected in the home will turn to wrong companions for acceptance. Thank you, Mr. McGee. Now to continue with confession and the documented record of the woman referred to as Doris Kane. We kept driving west. We'd stop in different places on the way, sometimes a week, sometimes only a couple of days. We changed cars lots of times. Frank got them off parking lots. He always changed the license plates, putting on cold plates, he said. We kept on the move. It was almost three months now. And I guess the only reason I didn't run out was because I was married to Jimmy. Someplace near Denver, I got sick on the road and we had to stop. After I was all right, we went on again. I was afraid of Frank. He kept using more and more narcotics. Doris? Yeah? 
You okay now? I'm okay. From now on, you earn your way. What? I said from now on, she earns her way. No more dead weight. Now listen. You heard me. And I want you coming in on the jobs with me. Jimmy. Be easy with both of us where it counts. And use her for a lookout. Why does she have to get into this? Because she's here and we're feeding her, that's why. Listen. Now you listen, Buster. After we hit the big job in Frisco, you're on your own. I don't care what you do. You take your cut and scram. But until then, I'm the boy. I'm not going to do it. It's just till we get to Frisco, honey. I'm not going to do it. I'll be depending on you, honey. You don't want me killed, do you? Why can't you quit, Jimmy? What if they catch us? That'll be up to you. Right, Frank? That's right, Doris. It's up to you. After that, I was the lookout. I don't remember how many holdups there were. It was all I could dream. When we got to San Francisco, we got a room in Richmond. That's across the bay. And Frank got a place in town. Frank had plans for this big job. That's what he called it, the big job. He didn't tell me any of the details. He didn't want me along on this one. For the first time, Jimmy was carrying a gun. I tried to talk to him before he left. It's funny, you remember silly things. I remember the landlady was vacuuming in the hallway outside. Listen, honey. Don't do it, Jimmy, please. This is the last one, honey, the last one. After this, we don't have to worry anymore. I can't help worrying. Oh, Jimmy, everything, everything. What do you mean, everything? Are you hooked now, Jimmy? Did Frankie hook you on the stuff so you can't do without it? I use a little. Sure, I use. You know that. So what? Let's not talk about it, you hear? Please, Jimmy. Please don't go today. It's all set, honey. Now listen to me. What if something goes wrong? Nothing's going wrong. Now listen to me, will you? It's three o'clock. Frank will get back here at five with the money. Are you listening? I'm listening. Okay. Frank and I are going to have to separate. I'll take the bus back here. It'll take longer, but it'll be safer. You'll be all packed and ready to go. I don't like it, Jimmy. The last job, honey. After that, we go south to where it's warm and find a place to settle down. After that, no more. Be careful. Please be careful. Now, don't worry. Everything's going to be fine. Goodbye, honey. Jimmy. I didn't have a radio or a newspaper or anything. I just sat there and waited. Then I began to feel sick. Sicker than I ever felt before. I thought it was because I was nervous or something. I went out and saw the landlady and she told me to lay down and she went for a doctor. The doctor came and gave me something and went away. After six o'clock, Jimmy came in. He was all out of breath. I was so glad to see him, I cried. Hi, honey. <gasps> oh, Jimmy! No, honey, take it easy, honey. There's nothing to cry about. Everything was perfect, not a hitch. I'd never see you again. Don't be silly. They can't hurt me. Where's Frank? Oh, he's not here. Not here? Well, I took the bus. He had the car. He should have been here long ago. Hey, maybe they picked him up. You think they did? Otherwise, he'd be here. Oh, boy, I hope not. I told him I should have taken part of the money. We haven't got any dough. Jimmy. Yeah? Remember? I felt sick that time. Well, I got sick again. I had to have a doctor. When? While you were gone just now. What was the trouble? The doctor was here. He says I'm going to have a baby. What? That's what he said. Honey. 
Jimmy, what are we going to do? A baby. What are we going to do? That's wonderful. When Frank gets here, we'll have a big celebration. That's what we're going to do. We'll celebrate all the way down to L.A. I wonder where he is. Frank's too smart for the cops. They never got him. Did they see you? I don't know. All I know is we can't stay here. What about Frank? He's got the money. He's got the car. I'll tell you what. We'll wait here till morning. Then I'll go down and get a paper. The paper will tell us whether they got him. Jimmy, I'm scared. Ah, don't worry, honey. Frank will be here. He's too smart for those dumb cops. He'll be here. Only, I'm getting the shakes. I sure could use a fix. We didn't go to sleep. Jimmy took a fix and kept pacing the floor all night. I knew now that Jimmy was an addict, too. I got sick again. Finally, when the morning papers came out, Jimmy went down and got one. When he came back, his face was white. How do you like that? How do you like that? What's the matter? Here it is, right here in the paper. But there's nothing about anybody getting caught. It says they got away. How do you like that? We've been left high and dry. He's got all the money. Every penny of it. He ditched us. He took the car and all the money and he ditched us. Jimmy, we got to get out of here. Yeah. Yeah, we got to. No car, no money. You gonna have a baby? We'll be all right, Jimmy. Sure. Sure, we'll be all right. We'll clean up, honey. You and me. Who needs Frank anyhow? Only, without him, where can I connect for some stuff? And, Dory, I gotta have it now. I gotta have it. I packed our bag and we left. We were pretty lucky. We hitched a ride out of town and then we got another ride. It was a small truck. The man was going all the way to Los Angeles. We rode a couple of hours and then I got to feeling sick again. What's the matter, honey? I don't feel well. What you need is some coffee. If I didn't have my three cups in the morning, I wouldn't be fit to go out the door. That's what it means to me. My wife Mister. says... Yeah? This is a gun in my pocket. What? Don't get excited. Just turn down that side road. Hey, what is this? Don't talk. Just do as I say. This might go off. Okay, take it easy. That's fine. Now stop. Hand your wallet over here. Oh, wait a minute. Now, I, I got all my identification in there. Take the money, but for Pete's the sake... The wallet, I said. Now get out. This is plain stupid of you, buddy. Get out. Walk around in front of the truck. Where are you going, Jimmy? Wait here. And hold this. Okay, mister. Turn around. What are you going to do? Just this. <laughs> okay, honey. Jimmy. Jimmy, you killed him. He'll be okay. I just clunked him on the head. Gives us more time. You shouldn't have done that, Jimmy. Look in the wallet. How much is there in you it? You shouldn't have done... Come on, come on. How much is there? Well, let's see. $20. Just one $20 bill. $20? That's not bad. When we get the Merced, I'll make a connection and get a couple of caps. We'll ditch the truck, then we'll swipe a car someplace and pull a job that'll keep us a while. Please, Jimmy, no more. Are you crazy? We gotta have money. I gotta have it right away. I'll get a job, Jimmy. The cop's right behind us, and you're gonna get a job. Don't talk silly, honey. Our luck's hot. Besides, I know how to pull him now. Maybe you killed him. No, Jimmy, we... no, no. I didn't hit him that hard. Just hard enough to make him sleepy. I didn't kill him. Maybe you did. Jimmy, what are we gonna do? 
I told you. I can't take it anymore. Running away. Always running away, and now you hooked. You hooked. What's the matter with you? Nothing. Only I... You scared of something? Yes, I'm scared. But not for myself. I'm scared for you. If you don't like the setup, why don't you just pull out? Go ahead. Grab the first bus back home to Mama, why don't you? Don't talk like that, Jimmy. I don't mean... Hey. What? Frank. <laughs> he doesn't know it, but he did me a real favor. Just when we needed a break. Good old Frank. What is it, Jimmy? I just happened to remember. A couple of weeks ago, Frank was telling me about a place. Drugstore in Fresno. That's real close to here. A pushover, he says. They'll probably have a big narco supply, too. We'll break it tonight, you and me. I can't, Jimmy. They'll get us. I just can't. Quit saying you can't. Now be quiet. I gotta think. I tried to talk him out of it, but he only got madder. We ditched the truck in Merced, then Jimmy used up his last cap. About 9 o'clock that night, we got a ride into Fresno. We got something to eat. Then we went into a parking lot, took a black sedan, and got out of there fast. Then we drove out to the place. It was closed. Jimmy was like a crazy man. He knew there was narcotics inside the store. I kept the motor running, and Jimmy went up to the front door. My heart was pounding harder than it ever did before. Jimmy kicked in the plate glass in the door and went inside. A bell started clanging. It was a burglar alarm. Then I saw the patrol car swing into the alley alongside the store, and I started flashing the lights and honking the horn. I could see Jimmy through the window. He ducked behind a showcase. One of the police was running toward the back of the building. The other ran in the front door. I ran in after him. Remember, I was screaming, Jimmy, Jimmy, trying to be heard over the burglar alarm. And then the shots. Jimmy, Jimmy! Come on with your hands up! Come and get me! Jimmy! Doris, get out of here! You want to get yourself killed? Jimmy! Up with your hands up! Duck down, Doris! You're in my way! Doris, get out of here! Don't shoot, Jimmy! Get out of the way! How do you like that, copper? Jimmy! Jimmy! Okay, Harry, I think we got him. Hey, lady, you hurt? Jimmy! Oh, Jimmy! Come on, get up. Get up now. You killed him. Almost got you, too. What was the idea of running right in the line of fire? Jimmy! Oh, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? You're coming with us. Our baby. Our baby. What baby? He was my husband. I'm going to have a baby. Baby? Let's have a look at you. Why, you're just... You kid. There wasn't a dollar in that cash register. Somebody tried to break in last night. We picked him up. Last night? Frank? Yeah, that's his name. Frank, uh... Frank Leonard. You know him? <laughs> Frank! <laughs> sure, I know him. Oh, he's the one you should have killed. <laughs>
You have just heard an actual confession. This case history of the woman referred to as Doris Keene is a matter of documented record. To protect the legal rights of this girl, names and places were changed or deleted. Technical advice for confession comes from the office of the Director of Corrections, Department of Corrections, State of California. In a moment, you will again hear Doris Kane. Doris Kane was arrested in Merced County, State of California, and tried under Section 700, Sub M W I C. James R. Kane's body was claimed by his parents and returned to Cleveland for burial. Frank O. Leonard was extradited to Ohio to stand trial for murder, and the State of California has holds on him for grand theft auto, robbery, and burglary. Now, Doris Kane. I made this broadcast in the hope that someone somewhere may benefit from our mistakes. My husband, Jimmy, was only 18 when he died. Frank's 23, and you might say his life's over, too. A lot of boys and girls are following in our footsteps and don't know it. I'm a ward of the Juvenile Court of Merced County at the El Retiro State School for Girls. I'll be a ward of the court until I'm 21. Because of my age, my baby will not have to be born in a prison, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful, too, that I escaped becoming a drug addict. I guess I'm most thankful of all for that because I've seen what it does to you. Can I? Of course. Night, Mom. This has been Confession, transcribed statements of actual crimes. These true tragedies are brought to you each week as an NBC Radio Network production in an effort to stem the nation's forward march of crime. Credit for this broadcast goes to our cast. Paul Fries, Joyce McCluskey, Virginia Gregg, Sam Edwards, Stacey Harris, Marvin Miller. Script supervision, Warren Lewis. Music, Michael Samogi. Direction, Homer Canfield. John Wall speaking. Confession, a Canfield Lewis creation, came to you from California. You just listened to an episode of Confession, first broadcast July 5th, 1953, that was entitled The Doris Kane Case. And to finish things off, we're going to do a, or listen to a show entitled Favorite Story. This was first broadcast on September 10th, 1946, and the name of the episode is Meridian 71212. We paid a call on Mark Hellinger, author, motion picture producer, and newspaper man. And we said, Mr. Hellinger, what's your favorite story? He told us he liked yarns about New York City. And one of his prime favorites is a radio play by one of the pioneer writer-directors of the broadcasting industry, Irving Reese. The story is one that made history on the Workshop series, where it was first broadcast ten years ago. We are proud to produce it again. Mark Hellinger's favorite story, Meridian 71212. Bullocks in downtown Los Angeles, one of America's great stores, proudly originates this radio program for the nation. Favorite story. This is the program which stars the story. 
And that means our star this week is the radio classic by Irving Reese, Meridian 71212. Mark Hellinger's favorite story, Act One. I just came back to pick up some things I left. What are you doing here so late? Oh, I'm stuck for about 500 words to fill the comments page. My mind's gone completely blank. Yeah? Anything I can do? You can give me a cigarette. I finished the third pack an hour ago. Sure. Here. Thanks. Maybe this will be the camel that broke the straw's back. Ooh, very bad. You need some sleep. Sleep? I've got to have the copy in the hands of the printers at 9 tomorrow morning. That's tough. Yeah, what time is it, anyway? Probably missed the last train connection. I don't know. I'll left my watch home. Call up. Call up what? Meridian 71212. What's that? Telephone time service. Oh, excuse me. I forgot you were a commuter. Oh. Uh, Meridian what? 71212. Well, that's something new I've learned today. The time will be 11.32 and one quarter. 11.32. I've been trying to get an idea since... Hey, I've got it. Got what? My story. Oh, brother, this is a natural. What are you talking about? Why didn't I think of this before? Hello, hello, operator. This is the editorial department of the Manhattanite magazine. I'd like to ask you about your telephone service. When you hear the signal, the time will be 11. Yes, I know, and and three quarters. quarters. Yeah, listen, girlie, but this is important. It'll only take a minute. Look, I'd like to ask how many people call in every hour. Signal, the time will be 11.33. Hello, hello. Uh, She won't listen. Maybe it's a phonograph record. No, I heard a cough. Listen, Jim, help me out, will you? Sure, if you tell me what it's all about. I think there's a swell story there. Hop a cab and run down to the time service office. Must be right around here someplace. Get all the dope you can. You know what I want. Sure. Oh, you're a lifesaver. Forget it. I'll be calling you. Good luck. Let's see. Meridian. Seven, one, two, one, two. When you hear the 
signal, the time will be 11.33 and one half. When you hear the signal, the time will be 11.33 and three quarters. When you hear the signal, the time will be 11.34. Okay, Dad, I'll relieve you now. Thanks, Peggy. I'll be right back. When you hear the signal, the time will be 11. What's the matter, kid? Oh, just a headache, Helena. I'll be all right. Sure it's just a headache? Of course. Why? Oh, look here, kid. I can tell when something's wrong. Now, you lie down here. What? All right. Now, out with it. I know something's wrong, and honest, it helps just to talk about it sometimes. I can't. <laughs> oh, all right, dear, forget it. Where do you come from, Dot? I mean, your hometown. Oswego. Oh, that's in New York State, isn't it? Yes. Why don't you call up home? But to a long-distance call. Maybe that'll help the spirits. Oh, no. Employees get a big discount. I'm not homesick, Helen. Oswego. It's an Indian name, isn't it? Yes, I, I think so. Queer sound to it. I mean, it sounds familiar. I heard it recently. Oh, yes, I know. It was in the paper this morning. That kid Lambert that's <laughs> going to be electrocuted at Sing Sing tonight. <laughs> oh, gee, kid, I put my foot in. I'm sorry. Oh, please don't cry. Do you know him? He's my brother. Your brother? Oh, Tommy, Tommy. <laughs> They're going to kill him at 12 o'clock tonight, and I can't do anything. I can't do anything except sit here and call off the time every 15 seconds. The last in Tommy's life, and he didn't do it. He couldn't have. He wrote me that he was in the bank when it happened, and somebody swore he handed a gun to the man that did the killing, but he had nothing to do with it. Listen, kid, I'm going to see the supervisor. We'll both get the night off. You come home with me. Oh, no, Helen, I, I'd die if anyone else knew I'd... I'm so ashamed. I'm even sorry I told you. Yeah, but we don't have to tell him why we're going. I'll just say you're sick and I'm taking you home. Oh, no. no, please. I, I'm better off working. I'd go mad just sitting around and thinking about it. I'd go mad. Please. Let's go back now. Mr. Bradley? Yes? I'm sorry to disturb you at this hour. My name is Fawcett, Manhattanite Magazine. Well, glad to know you, Mr. Fawcett. I'm a Manhattanite fan myself. It's, it's a swell magazine. <laughs> Thanks. That'll make things easier. What can I do for you? We thought there's an interesting article on your telephone time service. Oh, good. We won't mind the publicity. Just what did you want to know about it? Well, you know the comments page in our magazine, interesting facts about all sorts of things. We'd like to do one like that on the time. How many calls you get, how many times an hour, how do you pick the girls. You know what I mean. Oh, yes, of course. Now, suppose we go right into the operating room. You can actually watch the girl on duty work, and I'll explain it all as we go along. Oh, fine. You know, lots of people think you use phonograph records. Oh, oh, no. Uh, this way, Mr. Fawcett. Do the girls just sit there and wait for the calls to come in? Uh, they have no way of knowing whether anyone is on the line or not. Uh, they call time every 15 seconds regardless. You hear them, but they can't hear you. <laughs> yes, I know. We tried to question the girl, but she paid no attention. Here we are. You see the girl in the glass-enclosed office? She's the time service operator. It's all soundproofed, so no noise gets through. Say, how about that girl who just went in? Is she going to relieve the girl at the board? Oh, yes, I, I guess so, but 
They usually change on the hour. I want... Uh, Miss Tanner. Yes, Mr. Bradley. How is it you're getting relief now? Oh, it's Miss Day's trick. She wasn't feeling well. Huh? I relieved her a few minutes ago. Now she's back to finish up. I see. Thank you. May we go right into the office? I'd like to listen for a while. Oh, certainly, but uh, we'll have to talk low. If you want to talk to me in there, it might be picked up in the microphone. Oh, of course. The signal, the time will be 11.40 and one quarter. Sit down, Mr. Forster. Thanks. When you hear the signal, the time will be 11.40 and one half. Mr. Bradley, is it possible for us to trace a few calls? I'd like to find out just why people use the service. Sorry, calls come in on the dial system and you can't trace dials. Oh, that's too bad. It'd be interesting to know. Yeah, time plays an when important part signal, in the lives the of people in a big city. We get several hundred calls an hour. Maybe people trying to make a train connection or... Somebody who's too lazy to get out of bed and look, and somebody with a watch that stopped. If you don't mind, I'd, I'd like to just listen. When you hear the signal, the time will be 11.41 and one half. When you hear the signal, the time will be 11.41 and three quarters. When you hear the signal, the time will be 11.42. Hotel operator. Will you get me Bell Harbor 44642 now, please? Yes, sir. I'm getting Bell Harbor 44642. Thank you. I'm in town, darling. John, why didn't you call and say you'd be late? Where are you? I'm at a hotel, dear. But what are you doing at a hotel? I've got something very important to tell you, Grace. Oh, please save it and come right home. I can't wait. But it's so late, dear, and we've been worried all day. I've been pretty busy. I know, but Grace, please... my insurance policy expires at midnight. Oh, that doesn't matter, John. You'll get another when things pick up. There isn't a chance, dear. I'm all washed up. Darling, I won't have you talk that way. Please come right home. You can still get dinner. I've got a swell roast and I've kept it warm. You'll feel better after you've eaten. We'll find some way out. We still have each other. If it were only us, I wouldn't care, dear. It's the kids I'm thinking of. It's not fair to them. Priscilla got a medal at school today, John. She stayed up just to show it to you. Please, please come right home. My policy is $50,000, Grace. It expires in about 18 minutes. John, what are you thinking of? I won't listen. I won't listen. I'm going to leave you, darling. Please take care of Priscilla and Jim. John, don't, John! Hotel operator. Operator. Get me Meridian 71212. And stay on the line. Yes, sir. Meridian. Seven. One. Two. One. Two. When you hear the signal, the time will be 11.44 and one quarter. Did you hear that, operator? Yes, sir. She said it was 11.44 and one quarter. That's right, operator. Remember that. 
I said remember that. Stay on the line. When you hear the signal, the time will be 11.44 and one half. Act two of Mark Hellinger's favorite story, Meridian 71212, by Irving Reese, with Janet Waldo as the time operator. signal, the time will be 11.45. When you hear the signal, the time will be 11.45 and one quarter. Tell me, Mr. Bradley, there wouldn't be any reason for anyone outside of New York City to call Meridian for the the time, would there? Oh, oh, no. You see, each city has its own local time service because of the difference in time. In Chicago, people call Cathedral 8000, and in Los Angeles, Ulrich 8900. It would be very silly for someone in Chicago or any place outside of New York to call here for the time, don't you think? Gentlemen, everyone in London is in bed at this hour. It's quite late. Listen, it's never too late for another drink. (laughs) (laughs) Gentlemen, gentlemen, don't you think you had better go to your rooms? It's it's nearly 5 a.m. Don't you think you'd better go to your rooms? (laughs) I should say not. We should say not. We want another drink. Right. And we ain't gonna go to our rooms till we get it. Atta boy, atta boy, you tell him, old pal, old pal, send us a drink. Sorry, gentlemen, you're in London, you know. Yeah. It's against the law to serve intoxicating spirits at this hour. But we don't want intoxicating spirits. We want scotch. That's a good one. We don't want intoxicating spirits. We want scotch. <laughs> gentlemen, gentlemen, you'll awaken all the guests. Please, gentlemen, please. I'll bet you'll wake up all the guests if you don't get us a drink. You said it, little pal. A drink to the king. Oh, no, no, no. We've been drinking to the king all day. Right. Hey, let, let's drink to the queen That's now. right, right, little pal. That's right. This one is to the queen. To the queen. Hiya, Queenie. <laughs> but, gentlemen, I'm only the desk clerk. I have nothing to do with liquor. Well, call up the Queen and tell her Joe and his little pal stuff from little old New York want to drink. That's right. Give me the phone. I'll get bucking them pals. Oh, no. Oh, no, please. Uh, uh, the Queen's asleep now, gentlemen. Well, then get us a drink. Yeah, get a drink. But, gentlemen, it's 5 a.m. There are rules for Listen, Percival. It ain't five o'clock in Little Old New York, is it? Why, no, sir. Well, we're from Little Old New York, and we abide by their rules. Not these, you see. Nah. Fine way to treat a guest. Hey, you tell them, pal. We go by New York rules, not these. Why, it's only 11 o'clock in New York, in Little Old New York. Oh, no, 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 no. That's where you're wrong, Fauci. That's where you're wrong. It's 12 o'clock in New York. 
Hello, Andrea. Oh, yeah, yeah. How's it about daylight savings time, huh? How's, how's it about that? That ain't got nothing to do with it. Oh, nothing at all! Please, please, gentlemen, please don't shout. Well, how's it about it, Percival? Uh, what time is it on here? Why, I believe there is a difference of five hours. That would make it uh, 12 o'clock in New York. Oh, yeah? That's what oh. you think. How's it about daylight savings time, huh? Daylight savings. There ain't any more daylight savings time. Oh, no, no, well, five bucks says there is. It's a bet, it's a bet, oh, boy, boy, sucker. Yeah, how are you going to prove it? It's a sense. Give me that phone, Percival. Uh, yes, sir. I'll get you that time. I'd rather get it right now. Hello, hello, hello. Are you there? I ain't never had no complaints, dearie. I beg your pardon. Oh, that's all right. You didn't do nothing. Hey, guy, give me Meridian 71212. Sorry, sir, but there is no such exchange. That's what you think. Ah, yes, there is. You just got me New York. Just a moment, sir. I'll get you foreign service. Foreign service? How do you like that? I think we've got to make a big production of a foreign service. Hello, New York. Hello, New York. Hello, London. Number, please. Meridian 71212. London, that's New York time service. It's no mistake at all, Terry. Just get it. Don't ask any silly questions. Very well, sir. When you hear the signal, the time will be 11.50 and one half. Hacker, Terry. Well, what must you say? <laughs> She says the time's 11.50 or something. Oh. Whee! <laughs> I told him, didn't I, Percival? Yeah. Mr. Wise Guy here. Didn't, didn't I, Percival? I told him. Yes, right. sir. You, <laughs> you told him, sir. Now fork over the five bucks, Mr. Smiley. Come on, get it up. Okay, get okay. it's okay. Hey, uh, uh, Begging your pardon, sirs, but uh, the transatlantic call will be six pounds. Ah, uh, well, how much is six pounds? That's $24 in American money. Oh, well, that's all right. That's okay. Mr. Wise Guy here, help us. Oh, no, 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 no. Call him New York was your idea, not mine. No. Oh, so you're going to get technical. Reneggin, huh? Oh, no. So you're going to watch. Gentlemen, uh, gentlemen. Uh, what are you going to do about this it? This is uh, what I'm going to do about it. Uh, 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 gentlemen, uh, gentlemen, uh, stop, uh, please. Please, please. Still a little time left. Why don't you tell the truth? We'll protect you. We'll use every penny we have to see you taken care of. Listen, Mr. Lawyer, for the 50th time, I told everything I know on a witness stand. You better get these ropes off my wrist and let me out of here. Johnson, you're a filthy liar and you know it. Man, don't you realize that you're sending an innocent kid to the electric chair? Ah, bust right out crying in a minute. No, Johnson, I've got the governor standing by. If you'll only tell us the truth, we can call him in Albany and get a stay of execution. Sticking your neck out, ain't you? Oh, I don't care what happens to me, but I'm not letting that kid burn. Sit here and think it over. If you change your mind, call me. I'll be right behind that door. Remember this. The 
If Tommy Lambert dies, you're not going to leave this room alive. You can't scare me. All right. Just think it over. Nuts. How'd you make out, Ed? I can't get a thing out of him. He's as tight-lipped as when I started five hours ago. What are you going to do? I told him I'd wait until he called me. I told him if he didn't and Tommy Lampard died, he'd never leave that room. But, Ed, you know that rat Well, what talk. can I do? I... What time is it? Quarter of twelve. Don't you realize that kid's going to die in 15 minutes? Realize? God, I haven't slept a minute since he was convicted. I know the kid's innocent. I used to think those things only happened in stories and... And I lost it for him. I, I couldn't help There's him. There's not time for that. I'll go in and have a talk with Mr. Johnson. Uh, no, Neil, no. No, I won't let you. I've been a lawyer for 20 years now, and when this gets out, I'm, I'm washed up. But, but I'll take Johnson with me. You're just starting out. I, I won't let you get mixed up in it. I just want three minutes with him. Neil! All right, Johnson. The May party's over. I'll give you just one minute to talk. The assistant mastermind. I didn't know you was here. Don't make me laugh. Johnson, you swore on that witness stand that you saw Tommy Lambert hand a gun to Roy Peters in the Oswego National Bank. So what? Uh, Was that true, Johnson? Yeah, Mr. Loy. On my way to honor, it's a good boy's... How does that feel, Johnson? I'll take care of you, lady. Would you like to talk, rat? Neil! Neil, what are you doing? I'm giving Mr. Johnson a little taste of what he needs. Stop! Stop! Stop. Stop. Let me breathe. He isn't worth it. Uh, This won't bother him any more than that shock of 2,000 volts through the Lambert kid's body. You better stop him or he'll burn to... Spill it, skunk! Stop him! I'll tell you! I'll talk! to say I'd seen the gun. I needed the money. All right, rat. There. Now, be quiet for a minute. My God, we got it. Neil, call the governor. We'll have to move fast. What time is it? Quarter of twelve. But you said it was quarter of twelve the last time I asked. Good God. My watch stopped. I'll get it. Me. Seven. Two. One. Two. Signal, the time will be 11.59. Oh, God. What's the matter? An innocent boy is going to die in one minute. When you hear this signal, the time will be 11.59 and one quarter. When you hear the signal, the time will be... 11.59 and one half. When you hear the signal, the time will be 11.59 and three quarters. When, when you hear the signal, the time will be 12 o'clock.
You've been listening to Meridian 71212 by Irving Reese, the favorite story choice of Mark Hellinger. Mr. Hellinger is the producer of the motion picture thriller, The Killers. Favorite story is brought to you by Bullocks in downtown Los Angeles, one of America's great stores. Heard in the cast were Janet Waldo, David Ellis, Edmund McDonald, Ed Max, Ruth Parrott, Byron Kane, Paul McVeigh, Irene Tedrow, Bernice Barrett, Tom Holland, and your announcer, George Barkley. Sound designs were by Jack Hayes. Studio A mixer was Ernest Wilmshurst. Studio B mixer was James Wright. Original music was composed by Bob Mitchell, who conducted Claude Sweeten's orchestra. This was a Lawrence and Lee production. Bullocks proudly originates it for the nation. Here is True Boardman to tell you about next week's favorite story. Next week, one of the strangest, most weird, and most fantastic stories ever written. Jonathan Swift's great satire, Gulliver's Travels, which is as uniquely significant in this year of the atom bomb as it was the year it was written. It's the favorite story choice of one of America's top-flight authors and newspaper men, Mr. Ralph Ingersoll. Until then... Until next Tuesday at 9 and Gulliver's Travels, good night to you from Bullocks. Well, the name of that uh, show was Favorite Story. That was first broadcast on September 10th, 1946, and the name of that episode was Meridian As he works on shows that have not been in general release, he often will release them and uh, try to get them out there in circulation. So all four of the shows that we listened to tonight came from him, and it is with our thanks. All right, everybody, that's going to do it. We'll be back uh, later tomorrow with the Archive Show, and then on Monday with an old-time radio comedy, on Tuesday with a drama, on Wednesday with a uh, mystery, and on Thursday We'll have our old-time radio western. 
This is Bob Bro. so glad you stopped by, and I'm so glad you met me. <laughs>